So last week we talked about church planning. How, how many of you are here got that? Okay, a number of us, all right. So we're talking about what's happening in our conference and we're talking about um, specifically what God's doing in the Northwest region here uh, through Converge Northwest. And we highlighted the fact that uh, in the last three years there are 13 church plants that are, have, been, have happened or are about to happen um, here this summer. And that, that is really exciting. There, there's, and we said we, we've got to be a part of that. At the same time, another development has happened that we had hoped for, but hadn't anticipated it would happen this soon. We had always prayed that God would bless and prosper Zipfiz to the point where they get so big that they'd have to move out and get some more space, right? And then what the dream would be that we'd take over that space. We just didn't pray it happened this soon, right? So there's the the sand and the gears kind of part that we want to talk about. Uh, they're actually uh, moving out probably will be this summer. I talked to Terry, uh, the manager this week, and she said she was actually going to Woodenville to look at some promising space. So so they're moving on that. And, uh, and that comes down to then, well, what are we going to do? And so if you're new to Norfolk, you might you might not understand the impact of that statement. So let me give you some background so that you can ex- understand the context to the whole thing. Uh, let's begin. This is a picture of where Norfolk first began. It was at Jackson High School. All right, alumni of Jackson, go Kinsey. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, started there in 1999. And a whole bunch of us who were part of that original plant uh, launched in an incredible thing of faith. Uh, great excitement. Uh, went out uh, uh, to to be at work in God. You know, the studies are that uh, more people come to Christ in brand new plants. And, and so there was this great faith step. And so they launched and they landed in Jackson High School. And uh, there's great stories about people who showed up in the parking lot and came walking in and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was really, really pretty incredible. Uh, one of the things that happened at Jackson is that they found out that as a church, they were being, um, uh, the fee was three times the normal rate of what it was for nonprofits. And so uh, uh, they became actually a case, a court case that um, was tested and the school district dropped their rates and then they uh, went on. So if you see a lot of the churches involved in the schools now and, and planted in the schools, it's really because Northview paved the path for that. So kind of groundbreaking, but it became a little clumsy to stay at Jackson. And so uh, second era is Archbishop Murphy. Any of you remember those, right? And uh, we met in the cafeteria, concrete floor, and later we'd put all the chairs away and roll the tables out and have family meals. And it didn't matter how much the kids spilled on the floor because you could mop it up and it was all good. And a lot of the gang that are now adults here were little kids during that era. I'm thinking you, Jake, you, Jesse, you, Kinsey, right? And, uh, and so really fun. This is the area that I came to Northview in. And uh, I came from North Shore Baptist, which is now North Shore Community. And I came over to Northview. And one of the things that galvanized me and made Northview incredibly attractive was at the beginning, there was always a dream that in the core group of people that God had a place for them. They didn't know where it was. They didn't know what it looked like, but they had a dream that God had a place for them to the, to the extent that they did a capital campaign and raised $300,000 towards nothing. They had no place, no site, nothing on the... But they just so believed that God had a place for them, they raised $300,000. 
And I looked at that kind of faith and said, man, that would be a cool group of people to be attached to. And so uh, I came in 204, and uh, we were a little group, and uh, through prayer and stuff, uh, Norfew grew. And, and so then came uh, the journey to this place. This was an incredible step. Uh, we had done the first campaign, raised 300000 Then we did the second campaign, raised 600000 And then this site became available, the building you're sitting in this morning. And it was a monumental face step. I mean, it was, it's so hard to describe. I was trying to figure out how to describe it because it sounds like it's money. It really isn't. It's about the faith people had in God that there was a place for them. And they pursued that uh, in such incredible ways. And how this all rolled out was amazing. And so uh, I was trying to think, how do I connect that for you if you don't know the story? So one of the things I'm going to show you is a slideshow. And it's pictures of when we first moved in this building. Those of you who were there, uh, you will remember that. And uh, this building was empty warehouse. None of this was here. And so the stage wasn't here. The sound booth wasn't here. The walls weren't here. The upstairs wasn't here. It was just an empty warehouse. And when we came and, and took on this building, we... Uh, got permission from the contractors to come in one night. We actually had to take a rider policy out so in case somebody got hurt. But, I mean, there were sheetrock, stacks of sheetrock, and there was insulation and tubes for the heating laying around. And uh, we came into the building at night, and we didn't know who had been here. We didn't know the land that it was built on. We didn't know any of that stuff. And so we wanted to have a night of dedication where we dedicated this building to the Lord. And so we came in, and I was standing right here, only lower, and every, or you were standing out there only on concrete. And, uh, and we dispersed everybody through the building. The upstairs was, uh, it had studs, but no walls. So you could, they'd walk upstairs, you could see them. And what we said is go to somewhere in the building. Like if you're compelled with youth group, go up to the youth room. If, if you care about office and administration and that it would run well, go up there. If you're into the kids, go there. If you're really worried about the worship and what would happen here, go around here. And everybody walked around and the entire building is filled with prayers and scripture all around you. All the studs up there have scripture on them. The prayers are all through here. And on this, you're seeing some of the prayers that were prayed. Now, here's the cool thing. If you're new, you can't see any of them, but God does. And God knows and God remembers. Even those of us who wrote the prayers can't remember some of them, but God remembers them. This entire place is anointed and dedicated to God for the use and the purpose of his um, kingdom and it was such a spectacular thing we had no way to afford this place and someone came to us and said hey we will give you a 1.4 million dollar loan it will be um, interest free for the first three years and then after that it'll be a 10-year loan at seven and a half percent when the loan actually came due they said you know what we're going to make it easier on you we'll make the loan 15 years loan at three and a half percent right even with that money that was in the boom. Do you remember 207 and 205, 207, the boom? That's a distant memory, right? Um, the Olympics were going up in Canada, and we signed the lease on the building, and costs escalated through the roof. And to the point where we could build the downstairs, but we didn't have enough money to finish the upstairs, and that was no good, because now suddenly we had a bunch of children. 
right? As the families came in, we suddenly had a bunch of children. Shannon and I didn't help with that at all, having four apiece. But, um, you know, uh, we had all kinds of kids. And so we had to finish the top. We didn't have enough money to do it. So we went to a board meeting that year and everybody was on the board really didn't go to the men's retreat because we were at the retreat but in a room cranking numbers and and we had really good money guys and finally we went, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't get there. What are you going to say, Steve? said, well, we're not going to spin it. We're just going to go and say, look, here's what happened and we're in a lease and we don't have enough money to finish it so we're going to have to stay at Murphy and... uh, and be able to, and and if you know that's just kind of like a death pill kind of thing, and uh, we came back on Sunday, and on Monday morning Matt Chu, who was the chairman at the time, called me up, and it, he was in the last service. We were laughing together on this memory, but he he's babbling. I can't I can't. Is he crying? Is he laughing? What? And he's saying something about it's here, and I can't figure out what he's saying. And I I said Matt, you don't even know Chinese. Speak English, right? <laughs> He's Chinese-American. And I'm like, what are you saying? And he's coughing and crying. And I, dude, slow down. What? He said, Steve, it's here. I said, what's here? He said, the money. I said, what money? He said, I got home from men's retreat and I walked in church with, I was carrying my sleeping bag and somebody walked up to me and said, Steve, I heard about the, or Matt, I heard about the need. The money will be in the bank on Monday. And it was $500,000 in cash. So with the miracle gift and the miracle loan, we were able to be in what you now know as Northview Community Church. We should give the Lord a hand on that. That is just way too cool. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, thank the Lord. So now that is, uh, that, the question is, and I'm going to skip out now. Can you skip me out, Dave? Sorry, Joan, I clipped you out. Didn't mean to do that. Um, That was here. That was faith of 10 years ago. The question is, what's going to be the faith that's needed now in 217? That was that era, that generation, that group. Some of us were all part of that, but it's morphed over to here. So what's the next step look like? And I want us to uh, think this morning together as we um, walk through that. Here's um, out of the last two weeks as I've been sharing. Oh, by the way, it's not near as... uh, Simple as it sounds, uh, because this is warehouse space, so it's business space or commercial space. When we move in as a church, it becomes assembly space. So you have to make all kinds of changes and go through all kinds of county codes and permissions. So right now, we have a team put together, headed by Brian DeYoung, who's working in Roger Cecil, working with the county to actually ask the question, if we were to take on that space, would they allow us to move into it? That'd be a really bummer to lease the space and then you couldn't use it, right? And that, that's actually a potential uh, in this deal. So we're trying to find that out right now. But the possible faith options on the table are this. We talked last week, we could church plant and we don't take over the zip fist space. We say, no, we have enough room, it, we're good, and if we get too full, we'll just launch a plant out and we'll just stay at this size. The second option on the table would be take the zip fist space and don't church plant. No, we're not big enough yet. We need to get a little larger. We need space to do that because we're just kind of, we aren't able to do, for example, adult classes. We aren't able to do a lot of training things because we're kind of out of space. Uh, We have a lot of kids and the kids take up uh, everything else but this, right? And so it's been kind of difficult to do. So the thinking behind that would be, you know, church plant, that's a good faith step. 
But that's for the future. We should actually uh, do the zip fizz face right now. Could get really crazy and stupid and church plant and take the zip fizz face, right? That would be kind of like a God thing and that's kind of nuts and way out there and like how would we even dream that or do that? Uh, that's one of the possibilities that uh, we could look at. Or we could also not do the plant and not do the zip fizz face. It would be really easy to just say, well, let's just play it safe. Why take that risk? The economy, who knows where it's going to go with everything that's happening politically. It's a time to just be really conservative and, and play it safe. What I want to suggest this morning, there's, there's two real key dangers, I think, in this situation. Because the question is, what are we supposed to do? What does Jesus want us to do? What's the Lord really what step is the right step? And in that, there's two dangers. One is being presumptuous. Well, we're just going to do it and hope the Lord blesses it. Any of you ever been there? That usually doesn't work out too well, right? Or we can be over on this side and procrastinate. Yeah, we know what the Lord wants to do, but we really don't want to take that step, so we aren't going to take it, right? And I want to look at a couple. Of, so if you have your Bibles, this is where you can get into your Bibles. I want to talk first about um, the dangers of presumption. Let's go on that side first. There's a, a number of stories in the Bible that talk about it's not good to get ahead of the Lord. Let me give you a couple of them. So the first one is 1 Samuel 13. Uh, Saul offers a sacrifice. The Philistines, who are their enemies, uh, have marshaled. They are at Michmash. They are ready to invade the country. Saul has talked to the prophet Samuel. Samuel has told him, I will be there in seven days. And in seven days... Uh, Saul's waiting. In the meantime, the, his, the people and his army starts to scatter. And it's all falling apart faster than he can put it together. So he's nervous because Samuel hasn't come. So he says, um, he says this. He says, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And then notice, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Isn't that like that? Lord, you're late, you're late, they'll have to do this for you. And then the Lord's right there and you go, oh, oops. Right? This is what happened to Saul. And, and so Saul goes out to greet Samuel and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattering and that you did not come on the day appointed, i.e., who's really at fault here? You know, Saul's accusing Samuel. And that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. You don't understand, Samuel? I had to. You ever said that? I had to? I forced myself and offered the burnt offerings. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done very foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And if you track that part of Saul's life on, he just keeps doing uh, perpetual things like that. He just keeps um, taking steps where he's acting presumptuously and it eventually uh, is part of his ruin. The second one is different. In 2 Samuel, is it 16 there? Or 2 Samuel 6, David brings the ark to Jerusalem. And here it isn't that he's doing the wrong thing. He's doing the right thing, but he's doing it in the wrong way. He's acting presumptuously because he hasn't gone back to the word to find out how it's supposed to happen. 
So they get all excited. They're going to bring the ark to Jerusalem. They bring the, the ark is coming. They're, they're celebrating. They're dancing. Music's playing. It's just one big parade. And then the oxen stumble. Stoners divot in the road. Oxen stumble. They've got the ark on a cart. And as the cart rocks, Uzzah puts out his hand to steady the ark and the Lord kills him on the spot. And people freak out. And David's like, wow. And they actually call the place Para Uzzah because David says, how in the world can I bring the ark of the Lord to me? This is a dangerous thing. Well, you go on and some things happen and later you find out they bring the ark to Jerusalem because they put the ark at the threshing floor of Obed-Edom and reports come to David that God has literally blessed Obed-Edom. Everything's going right. And David goes, wow, what went wrong? Well, they go back to the word. Funny how we have to do that. You ever gone back to the Bible and realized what you did wrong? Right? And so they go back to the word and they find out, oh, the ark is never supposed to be carried by a cart. It's always supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. So the second, second time in the story, they come through and they're carrying the ark on the shoulders of the priests. And the ark winds up in Jerusalem. So David uh, wasn't presumptuous in what he was doing, but he was presumptuous in, he, in the way he was doing it. Here's one that you remember. Remember Peter striking Malchus with the sword? They're in the garden. Tension is mounting. Uh, things are going on. Suddenly a, an armed guard comes into the garden. They're about to arrest Jesus. Just an hours before, the disciples all trooped told Jesus they would, they'd be willing to die for him. And they were, and Peter was. And Peter drew out a sword and he started whacking. And the first person he whacked was a guy named Malchus. He was a servant of the high priest and, and cut off his ear. And Jesus rebuked him and said, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And of course, you know how that happened with Peter. See, Peter didn't, keep his eyes on the Lord or follow the Lord's lead, Peter wanted Jesus to follow his lead. I know what's going on here, Lord. Let me take care of this for you. Obviously, you're not taking care of it because you're allowing this, this crowd, this uh, guard of armed soldiers to arrest you. That can't happen, so I'll fix it for you. Have you ever wanted to fix things for God? Right? I'll do this. I'll take care of it. And then only to get rebuked by the Lord because... You were just off. You just missed the whole point. And so that's another way of being presumptuous. Peter uh, did that. And then another one is Simon. Simon the magician. He uh, watched what Peter and the guys were doing. If you remember this story, they're working miracles. Simon had enthralled people for a great time. They even called him Simon the Great a master power person. And, but when he saw what Jesus was doing and the miracles he was doing, they were like, wow, we, we can't hold a candle to this. And I, I want some of that. So he comes to Peter and them and says, can I buy the gift? Now, i.e., hey, let's franchise this thing. You know, I want in on the franchise. How much does it cost? I like what you're doing. I want to be a part of it. And Peter says to him, may your gold... Um, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord. If possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And that's where you could be doing the things of the Lord, but your heart not right with the Lord. Simon's heart wasn't right. He liked what was happening, but he didn't want to change his heart to be part of what was happening. 
And that can easily happen. We could do these very godly, Jesus Christ-like things. And our heart might not be right. And we might think, hey, we, we can pull this off. And that's a really foolish thing. We, it'll always be destined to fail. And so Simon learned that. Now, those are sins of presumption, right? And that's uh, not waiting long enough. That's taking off and pulling the trigger before the Lord wants you to pull the trigger. But there's an equal danger way over here on this side of the sins of procrastination. Any of you ever procrastinate on what you know you were supposed to do, right? <laughs> You're looking guilty, Mallory. <laughs> yeah, me too, all right? Let's look at the, the danger of procrastination, all right? In 2 Samuel 20, there's a general named Amasa. King David um, goes out, recruits him, replaces Joab, puts Amasa in his place and says, get the army together, you've got three days, we've got to meet here. And Amasa procrastinates. And he doesn't get the army mustered. He doesn't get them there in time. And what ends up happening is that not only does Amasa not get the army together, but it ends up costing him his life because he procrastinated on what he was supposed to do. Uh, You remember this one. Not only does Jonah procrastinate, but he says, you know what? I see what you want to do. Uh-uh. I do not want to go there. I do not want to do that. That's where you're... I'm going the other way. Have you ever done that with the Lord? I'm going this way. No, no, out here, right? And so we know the story. He runs. But part of the story there is that Jonah was trying to stall what God was doing because Jonah did not like the people that God wanted to reach. He didn't want this group, this tribe in. They were awful. They had been awful to Israel in their history and he didn't want any mercy extended to them at all. And matter of fact, he wanted them wiped out. And the idea that God would want to reach them, even worse and more galling, use him to send the message that he wanted to reach them, was choking to him. And so Jonah did everything in his power. And of course we know uh, it's a bad thing when you run from God. I always tell people when they're running, I said, well, how hard are you running away from him? They go, really hard. I said, well, run harder. They go, what do you mean? I said, run hard. I said, run run till you're exhausted. Because they said, wherever you run, there you is. Right? And God knows where you is, so he's going to find you. So keep running. How about this one? The parable of the ten virgins. You know this story. Uh, Bridegroom, the virgins get ready to come, but the bridegroom doesn't come when expected. And half of them were prepared, half of them weren't prepared. Half of them kind of procrastinated, didn't get their act together, didn't do the stuff they're supposed to do, but they showed up. And because the bridegroom took a little bit longer, uh, they ran out of oil. And so when the announcement finally came that the bridegroom was arriving to celebrate the wedding, they said, hey, share your oil with us. They said, no, if we share with you, we don't have enough for ourselves. Go in town and get some. Well, they ran in town. By the time they came back, the gate was closed. You ever missed a window or door you knew the Lord had for you? And you didn't walk through it, and then it was closed. That doesn't mean the Lord's done with you. That doesn't mean He'll never use you again. That doesn't. But you don't get in that door, right? It was closed, and that they procrastinated. Here's another one. This one isn't so much. It's not procrastinating, but it's getting halfway out there and failing. Remember Peter walking on the water. Remember, they're out in the boat, the storm's raging, and they see a guy that first they think it's a ghost, later they find out it's Jesus, says, peace, it's me, 
Okay? And they go, oh, and, and Peter says, well, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out and he's walking out. Can you imagine how cool that was? Just think at youth camp, Jake. We wouldn't need boats. You know, just pull them. You know, it'd be awesome. He's doing a trippy thing. But he gets halfway out there and what? He gets his eyes off of Jesus and he gets his eyes on the circumstances. And he realizes how crazy this is because what does Peter tell himself? People can't walk on water. Right? And as a result, what does he do? He starts to sink. And so we can get halfway out somewhere and then begin to sink. Um, when we did this first uh, build-out, when we came here, um, I took uh, the numbers to my friend Bob Wright. Uh, Bob Wright is a beloved friend, and uh, he's the CEO of the Norton Foundation, and uh, he's a nickel is a nickel is a nickel kind of guy, uh, brilliant with money. And um, if you don't know that, Norton Foundation, that's the warehouser money, right? So he's the CEO of that company. And so I brought the plan to him because I wanted to know what he thought. Would it work? And so we went out, had lunch, and he asked questions, and he looked at the numbers, and we got done. I was ready to drop him off, and he says, well... He says, this is absolutely, ridiculously stupid. He says, but it's you, Steve, so it'll probably work. (laughs) I think that was a compliment. I'm not sure. But now I understand what he was saying because 10 years later, I'm 10 years older, hopefully wiser. I've been through some things. When I look back at what we actually did, it should have never happened. I'm thinking, if I would have known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have stepped the way we stepped. Because you can't work those kind of numbers. It's crazy. And yet, here we are, and God has worked those numbers, and I'm thinking, wow. So the question is, we took that step then, what's the step now? And I want to say a couple of things about that. God often uses uh, the tests of our faith. Right? He uses the circumstance around us to test us in our faith. We know what that, to, for anybody who was part of that, we know what that took to get in here, right? We knew the kind of faith it took. We knew the kind of sacrifice it took. And, and we were all a part of it. It had to be all hands on deck. The question is, what will this test be? What is this generation's test? And one of the key indicators for us, part of why I'm going away on sabbatical, I'm trying to ask the Lord uh, what to do, uh, the key indicator is what do we do with the remaining loan? It costs us two and a half million to or two point one million to build this out. We've done really well on that, really well. We have paid it down. We only have five hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars and uh, sixty-two five hundred. What is that? Five hundred fifty-seven four hundred sixty-two dollars and actually twelve cents. So if anybody wants to pitch in the twelve cents, we'll be even there. That's a lot of money. What, how do we overcome that? Because that loan has to be paid off before we do anything else. And then I'm reminded, hey, have you forgotten? God gave you 500000 on the last one. You didn't know where that was coming from. You didn't know how to ask for that either. Have you thought about he can do that again? I went, oh, hadn't thought about that. And so the question mark this morning, uh, I missed my question mark on the slide, but question mark this morning is, what does he want us to do? as, a, as a, a faith community, as a, a church family. Will he ask us to plant, not take the... Uh, oh, the other thing here, timing. Um, 
It's one thing to know what God wants you to do. It's another thing to know the timing of it. You ever get the timing wrong? Right? You know exactly what He wants you to do, but you've got the timing wrong. Uh, timing is everything in relationships, if you think about it. And uh, what's the timing? So what will He ask us to do? Which one of these options are we supposed to do? And I want to tell you, I honestly don't know. Right? That's why I'm going away on sabbatical and spending some time, thankfully, the church and my wife are graciously allowing me to go. I'm going to spend some time praying and fasting and asking God, because here's what I know. It has to be us. It can't be me. Right? I'd, I'd need to know. That would be good. But it has to be us. When we did this first thing, it was us. We, there was a compelling sense of clarity we all had. We knew this was the step. There wasn't a doubt in any of us. And, and we took the step together. Because what we felt at that time was, hey, we're gonna, if, we, if we make it, we make it together. If we sink, we sink together. But we think this is the step, so we're taking the step. And by the grace of God, we have flourished. But what will this step be like? And the question this morning for the summer, I'm going to come back next week and talk about my responsibilities during the sabbatical and then our responsibilities during the sabbatical. What does the church need to do? What do I need to do so that uh, we can know what the Lord wants us to do? And the question this morning is, will you join me in prayer on this? Will you join me in prayer and just ask the Lord, hey, what do you, of those options Steve laid out, you can find them, you can download the message this week and rewrite them, hear them, write them down. Um, of those options, Lord, what, which ones are we supposed to take? What, what's your step? And what's the timing of your step? There's uh, things, uh, for example, he may say, not now. And then somebody else moves in that space. And then maybe four years later, he gives it back to us. There's, there's, timing issues. We don't know the future. He does. So as we're asking, I'm going to go seek him. I want to have a right heart on the deal, but I I would like to ask us to join me on that. Right? And having a right heart for where we go. The reason is that it will affect a lot of people we don't know yet. There are a bunch of people who do not yet know Jesus, who God is preparing and he needs a place to bring them. And this, we hope, is a place that he will have confidence in that he can bring them to. And the question is, what do we need to be so that they can come? First of all, right heart. But then, what does God want to do in terms of function? How do we function together? And that's an important thing. So, that's the ask this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we close? Father, thanks for this morning. It's fun to walk through this story. Wonderful to see those slides writing. A lot of the People who, I remember Kayla on my shoulders over those double doors underneath the exit sign signing and Lord, she's graduated from college and getting married. She's an adult. Many of those who were kids are now adults. And the question is, who's the new wave? And what does it look like? And how do we go at it? And what's your dream and desire for this church? It's very obvious. Back in the day, you did not want this church to die. You did extraordinary things for it to stay alive. What's your will now uh, in 217? We ask that with great hope. We ask that in faith. And we pray this in your name. Amen.